Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. We are truly, truly glad you're here. We're happy to be here ourselves. Sarah, Matt, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Been traveling, going to Northern California, going to Hawaii, and I've been doing some film work, which is exciting. Been a good season. How about you, Kevin? Well, I am excitingly going to go on vacation to the beach in San Diego. Don't have to go very far here, so that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Also very excited about who we have on today. You know, sometimes it's like your very best friend in the world. Sometimes it's somebody I'm really close to, but today our guest is somebody that we both have been impacted by his life and his teaching. For sure. We'd like to welcome to the show, Pastor Mark Hoffman. Hello. Thanks for having me. Mark, it's, it's funny because there's a purpose in the podcast, and that's to get people better and more intentional about sharing their faith. That's the whole idea, of, and it's based on 1 Peter 3.15. The very beginning of 1 Peter 3.15 talks about sanctifying Christ in your hearts as Lord. And I don't believe that I have been impacted by anybody, not just your preaching and your teaching, but really talking to you and seeing it in your life as this secret life with God and operating out of that. And we could go a lot of different directions, but man, that's what I'm most excited about. One question before we jump into this that I'd just like to know is what is one fun thing that our listeners should know about you? Well, I used to do a lot of fun things. I surfed for, gosh, I started when I was 11, and it became my lifelong hobby passion. And I did it up until my mid-50s when I had some health challenges, and I had to quit, but I still love surfing. Uh, I love to watch it. My son surfs, my grandkids surf. So we're a surfing family, we're a beach family, and always took our vacations at the beach, still do. You know, we have a lot of people that go to our church, and they're familiar with your testimony, but but we also have a lot of listeners that are just from all over the place. Would you just share kind of in your 20s when you came to the Lord? And I think you actually were living on the beach at the time. As soon as I graduated from high school, I moved to the beach and uh, lived there for a number of years. And unfortunately, although I'd been raised a Christian, I fell away completely from the Lord in high school and became kind of a beach hood where we would uh, tell people they couldn't surf at our beach. And I used to <laughs> cut their cords and we'd send them home oh. and send them packing. And it was bad and became an alcoholic and had all these problems, the harder I tried to make myself happy over, as years went back, the more miserable I became. Selfishness will ultimately make you unhappy. Selfish people cannot be happy in their life. It is better to give than to receive. And so after a number of years of this, I was 23. I really was tired of life. I knew I was an alcoholic. I knew I couldn't drink. No matter how much I surfed, it never could give me everything I needed. So I went to hear a childhood friend who was Danny Cruz. A lot of people yeah. know Danny and Sammy Cruz. And it was the Danny Cruz band. And I thought, well, I'll go hear him. I haven't seen him for years. I'll catch up. And as they shared their testimony, I felt the presence of God come on me in just a powerful way. I'd been avoiding church out of fear. I was afraid that I know I'm bad. <laughs> and I can't change, and I'm trying to live in denial. I'm trying not to think about my life. I'm trying not to think about the consequences of what I'm doing and the hopelessness of it. And if I go to church, it's going to be a reality check. So I avoided the church like everything. I lied to people when they, I said, okay, I'll meet you there. <laughs> you know, I had Christian friends. I'd never show up, but I did go to see them. And as they uh, shared, the presence of God just entered my heart, and all the fear was gone, and all the reluctance was gone. And I remember like it was yesterday the thought that came to my mind. And that thought was this, oh, I get it. Christianity isn't about what you have to give up. It's about what you get. 
because I was thinking I can't quit drinking, I can't quit doing what I'm doing. It's the only thing that keeps me going. You know, if all I did was work and go home, I couldn't handle life. And in that moment, I realized that I've been looking at it completely wrong. It's what you get, and what you get is a million times better than what you lay down. You know, we haven't talked about this part before, Mark, but I think you had a religious experience in your childhood and growing right. up and everything. Your dad was a pastor, and so you're in this Christian household, but you weren't satisfied in it. It wasn't changing your life necessarily, but this experience was something very, very different than what you had experienced before. Well, what I experienced uh, when I was 15 was very real, and I really got born again, but it was just not having a youth group to belong to mm. and being around all my unsaved friends in the neighborhood, being at school. You know, when you're 15, it's a lot easier to be a sponge than a light, and you tend to just be very affected by your classmates, some of your teachers, and so it just was a slow, very slow, reluctantly kind of felt my Christian life slip through my fingers. It's, it was over a course of several years, from 15 to 17, I'd say. So what was the difference from at 23 when you had another very real experience with the Lord? What kept you going where, you know, you're still walking with the Lord now? What was the difference in the journey? When you're 15, you don't know what you don't know. You don't appreciate what you have. You know, you don't appreciate your parents. You don't appreciate your home much. You just, you're dumb. But at 23, I knew what it was like to live without Jesus Christ. Mm. I had experienced it. And when that was gone, it's like when somebody stops hitting you in the head with a hammer feels good. And when that heaviness and that sense of lostness and despair and kind of emptiness, when it left me, I knew I could never let that go again. Yeah. You know, the people that are listening and, and what we're hoping to encourage and equip and all of that is for them to understand that there are people in their life who are at that very same place. Mm -hmm. They filled their emptiness with emptiness. They are not satisfied with what they're doing. And we have that hope within us and we can share that with them. And what a magnificent thing to do, to be able to do that, like Danny did. I remember when I saw Danny at some party a few years ago, we took a picture together and sent it to you. Your fruit of his effort and the Lord using him and everything. And that's the adventure of sharing your faith, that you can be used and be a conduit for that type of light and freedom. And you know, a lot of people are also where I was because where I was before I got saved the year before that or something, I was saying, I don't know if Christianity is true, but I hope it's true because if there isn't a God and there isn't some kind of salvation, then there's no way out. So in the back of my mind, I didn't know if there was a God, but I hoped it was true. I just didn't know how to get there. So the fact is a lot of people are just afraid. They're afraid to look into it. When you bring it up, they're afraid because it's they're in denial. It's not so much that they're unwilling to accept Christ out of selfishness, although certainly that's the case in a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people who are afraid to face it because they feel like they believe it's up to them to change, yeah. to make themselves acceptable to Jesus. That a Christian is defined by certain behaviors. You do this, you don't do that, you know, and they don't realize it's grace. And they, they look at those behaviors and they think, I can't possibly do that. And so for people just remember, there are a lot of people that really it's fear. It's fear of the unknown and, and it's a misunderstanding of what Christianity is. I think most people misunderstand what Christianity is who aren't saved. That's really true when you talk about people get hung up in religion and those are a lot a lot of those are the don'ts and some right. do's, but that's not the true spiritual life and spiritual growth. That's not where it comes from. It's getting with the Lord and being really truly honest with Him, like that you've said before. How did that develop in your life? Just seeking relationship with Christ 
Well, when I got saved, it was such a powerful, life-altering thing, but it was all brand new to me. And of course, I started to search the scriptures. And over time, I, I came to see something. I came to see that what attracted people to Jesus was the quality of his life. When Jesus started out, he wasn't a governor. He wasn't from a royal royalty. He wasn't a rabbi. He was a carpenter. And yet people would flock to him. And it was because of what they saw in his mm -hmm. life. I read a scripture once. I was reading about Jesus at the temple and when he went home. And it said, it's in uh, Luke. And it said that Jesus, when he returned home to Nazareth, that he grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And that phrase struck me that he grew in favor with God. And I thought, what is that? And then later I was reading in Samuel, and it said that Samuel grew in stature and favor with God and man. And I thought about what is favor? Well, you know what a favorite is. You can have a favorite son, favorite child, a favorite friend. It's someone on whom you bestow your favor. You're favorably disposed to them. They're the first person you think of. They're the first person you want to bless if you have a blessing to pass on. And I thought, wow, to be growing favor with God is something Man. that every person should want. He's the giver of every gift. Who wouldn't want to grow in favor with him? And so um, I began to study it, and I found out that the secret was the time that he spent alone with God. In fact, I thought it was really interesting that this is also what the disciples discovered, because the disciples traveled with Jesus for three years. They were with him at all times, under all circumstances. And as they looked at him, they tried to figure out what makes Jesus who he is. Everybody wanted what Jesus had. Jesus called what he had the abundant life. And he said in John 10, 10, he wants us to have the abundant life. So the greatest experts in who Jesus was, of course, was the disciples. They studied him over three years. They discovered what his secret was. And really, there are only two real questions, two real things that the disciples asked him. And one was, Lord, teach us to pray. They observed him praying. They realized his prayer life was the secret to how he approached life, the strength that he had, the patience, his ability to love and forgive, and the spiritual gifts that went through his life. So they said, teach us to pray. And of course, he taught him the Lord's Prayer. The next important question was on the last night of his life. In John 17, Jesus is going to be leaving them. It's the last night he's going to spend with them, and they're troubled because he's going away. And uh, I believe it's Philip turns to him and says, Lord, show us the yeah. Father, and it will be enough. <laughs> and so I understood, they understood that the secret to Jesus was his prayer life, but especially the revelation that he got of the Father in his time in prayer, the sense of communion. And so that if I wanted to grow in favor with God, developing a secret place, a regular time of honoring God and seeking him in prayer, seeking his will, enjoying him, giving him thanksgiving and prayer, going over scripture was going to be a key because it was a key for Jesus. It was a key for the apostles. And some things never change. It's the same today. Yeah. On that too, as you started doing that, you started building that relationship with God. And then as you mentioned, he grew in favor with God and with man. And so I'd love for you to break that part down a little bit and talk about how for you personally did you see just like with Jesus you know he would minister to people then he would go off and pray he'd go minister he'd go off and pray what did you see in your own life as you began to minister to others and share your faith with others 
Well, I have a saying, when you go into the secret place, you're going to meet three people. The first person you're going to meet is the Lord himself, because God says he's waiting to reward you in the secret place. The scripture says that. It talks about the people that pray to be seen and the other ones that enter into the secret place and seek the Father. The first group, it says, they're trying to please men. They got their reward in full. The second group they go, it says they receive their reward from God. So there's reward. God's waiting for you in the secret place. So the first person you really meet is the Lord. You'll, you'll get to know him better. The second person you'll meet is the person you truly are. Because we tend not to be real honest with ourselves. We often don't see ourselves the way other people see us. But when you're in the Lord's presence, when you're in the light of his glory, his word, you begin to truly understand where you need to grow and where you need to change. And the third person that you'll meet, and this is the good news, is you'll meet the person you could become. Mm -hmm. Because when you meet the Lord in the secret place, he transforms you. And it's out of this transformation that you can begin to transform the world. One thing is for sure, if you grow in favor with God, you will grow in favor with man. Because the Lord will just simply start busting out of you. And the Lord will give you understanding and vision. He'll transform you. He'll give you greater grace and greater love and greater patience and greater courage and everything he wants to do. So I believe that one helps the other. Growing in favor with God will make you grow in favor with men because you'll be a person that people want to be around and you'll all of a sudden have resources to share. You begin to live out of the overflow of your life. You're no longer restricted to your own love or your own compassion, but all of a sudden the fountains of God can begin to grow out of your life. I remember reading years and years ago about David Wilkerson. A lot of people are familiar with the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. He was just a little country pastor in a hill country of uh, Pennsylvania. He would always come home from church and turn on the news and watch TV for a few hours. And one day he felt like the Lord challenged him and said, why don't you give that time to me? And so he decided for the next month or two, whatever the period was, that he would come home. He wouldn't turn the TV on. He'd give that time to the Lord to seeking him. And so after this had been going on for a number of weeks, he was sitting there and he didn't know what to pray. And he was walking around his office and he looked down and he saw Time Magazine cover. And a lot of you who are older remember when Time Magazine was the news magazine of America. And he looked down and they had a picture of a number of teenagers, gang members in New York City. He couldn't get away from the picture. God just gripped his heart. God just revealed his purpose to him. And so here this little country preacher named David Wilkerson sets off by himself in his car to New York City <laughs> because he can't get away from what God showed him in that private time. And that's what it'll do. It'll transform you. The whole teen challenge phenomenon that's changed hundreds of thousands of lives yes. came out of that. And I remember, you know, you guys are familiar with Youth Venture, and you'll remember that that came out of a time of prayer. I was trying to think and pray about how we could help young people. And we'd been trying through the schools and ha were getting really shut down there. And as I was praying to the Lord, he gave me this whole vision, this whole plan for youth venture. And out of that little vision that God gave me, there are now six centers here in East County, a number of others across the United States. But even more importantly, as a result of starting that, we have 80,000 students in Kenya <laughs> and Uganda that right. are involved in our yeah. youth venture clubs. And all of this came out of a moment of prayer mm -hmm. because I had developed that habit of prayer.
I think it's cool too. I mean, we're, our studio is here in a youth venture. And so without that prayer time, without that yes that you made and all the other people, we might not be doing this right now. For me, it just changes everything because you can make prayer and Bible reading such a religious ritual. But what you're talking about is life and revelation, and it's just absolutely life-changing. It makes me think about when probably Peter and John, and they see a crippled guy, and they don't have to ask God, is it your perfect will that this guy gets up and walks? They had the mind of Christ for that situation because they were so close with him while he was alive, and even after he just left and sent the Holy Spirit. How can you encourage somebody who hasn't had that? It's either been stale or they've never tried it. You get this person who wants what you're talking about to happen, how do they get started on it? What do they do? Well, you have to be willing to kind of pray through those dry periods and anything you can use to help you like a devotion. I would often pray through the scriptures. And so it's something you grow in. Ever since I got saved, I prayed, I read my Bible, but I was like most people. It didn't really grip me. It was a regular thing I would do. I'd go to Mount Helix, I'd pray in the evening regularly and all that. But what really helped me grow in my prayer time was something that I did not want, which was to go to the wilderness. The Lord sent me very directly to a very liberal seminary in Dubuque, Iowa. I went with my brother. I did not want to go, but it meant leaving everything I cared about and going there. And because we didn't have enough money to pay for the dormitory, we took a job as night managers at a rescue mission in Dubuque. It was in a part of town where everything shut down about six o'clock. And it was just very quiet. You know what I mean? There wasn't any place to go. And so I would go into the office. And I need to say, too, that I felt persecuted at the seminary. It was difficult. It was hard there. It's hard living in a rescue mission. It's hard managing those guys and trying to preach to them and all that stuff. And so I would go into the office every night and just spend a couple hours with the Lord. Now, I know not everybody does that. But that was my real seminary. That was really the key to growing in this prayer life with the Lord and and learning. I think we tend to pray down prayer lists, and we tend to pray over the same things, which is fine. I think if you you stop thinking about prayer as just asking for things, and you think of prayer as learning to enjoy God, that really makes all the difference. To me, I think the key to feeling God's presence is the giving of thanks and praise. I feel like when you give thanks to God and you give praise to God, you are rightly oriented to God. Like uh, the Westminster Catechism says, what's the chief end of man? Mm -hmm. To know God and enjoy him forever. So our proper orientation towards God is to give him thanks and praise. That's who we are. That's when we come alive. When we do that, we're living out our purpose. Mm -hmm. And so if you just begin to practice, like I tell people all the time, you want to change the way you feel, stop right now, thank God for 10 things. Just thank God for, they don't have to be huge things. Just thank God for 10 things. And when you thank and praise God, it's like turning the satellite dish onto God and you begin to receive from him and your heart becomes tenderized and you become responsive to him. In fact, the Bible says to pray at all times, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving that keeps you alert. 
It's thanksgiving that puts you in a position of responding and hearing and being able to receive from him. Otherwise, you go to sleep. Everybody knows that. You think they prayed for an hour, and they look like prayed for two <laughs> minutes. And that's what happens when it's just asking for things rather than enjoying God. I think, too, it just reminds me of like in relationships with people, if you're not focusing on some of the good things about somebody, your heart turns away from them yep. and you get upset and all this stuff and you're not able to enjoy who they are, whatever your relationship is to them. So I think what you're saying is, you know, that connection there in relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you want to love something, pray for it because then you're investing your time, your energy, mm. your thoughts. So pray for your neighbors. You can't hate something you're praying for because pretty soon you've invested so much in that thing it becomes precious to you. And so, you know, we've always prayed for our neighbors. We've seen people come to Christ in all five neighborhoods that we've lived in. And it always is the same. It's because of prayer and just waiting for the opportunities God gives you. And then when that opportunity comes, making the most of it. But the, the most thing is to attune yourself to the people you're around by praying for them. I've heard you talk about the experience with your current neighbor. Yeah, we, and he's friends of mine, so, but when we first moved in, we could not make a connection. They were not interested in friendship, anything. They just had their life and they weren't interested. And so years went by on this. And one day their grandson moved in with them. And because we were able to help them with a the problem they had with their grandson, they reached out to us because we had a church and we were pastors. Through serving them at that level, they started coming to church to support him. Mm. And as a result, they both got saved. So it takes patience. It takes prayer. And so pray for your lost friends. Yeah, and you know, the Lord's always at work. And so you don't know what's going on with those people and where they're at. And you're playing your role in being, and I love the neighbor thing because so much of the time we don't know our neighbors. We don't even think about them. We might see them when we take out the trash and that's about it. And I think that there's something special that goes on. I mean, your neighbor might be the person in the cubicle next to you if you're back at work. But praying for those people that God's put into your life, you never know when you're going to have that opportunity. And they're always watching you. They're always paying attention. Yeah, I know. It's funny because I've got a couple of neighbors that I really, really love, and I wish I was half the man they think I am, Yeah, because I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I'm not even half the man my dog thinks I am. But it's so funny because if you're the person listening that always prays at Thanksgiving dinner, because you're the Christian and none of the rest of them are, they're watching you, like you say. And if your life speaks in harmony with your mouth, something happens. God delights in using us. He expects to partner with us in that stuff, and we should be praying for our neighbors. And if you're a Christian, you should find all people interesting. Everybody's got a story. God's already at work in everyone's life. That's what I found over the years. If you ask people, have you ever had a prayer answered? Have you ever felt like your life got spared? You ever been in a situation where you wonder, why didn't I die? I, I've asked that of so many people, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just brought them to the sobriety because they felt like something saved their life. They wanted to give thanks to someone, but they didn't know who. And so people are just fascinating, and Christians value people. Christians see each and every person as someone created in the image of God, therefore a worthwhile being. You know, if you're not saved, so many people look at others as kind of obstacles that are in the way, they're clogging up traffic, their dogs barking <laughs> at night, or whatever. But as Christians, we understand the profound importance. Each person is creating the image of Jesus, God. Each person's fascinating. And so learn to listen. People love people who are interested in them. 
C.S. Lewis said that when you meet a truly humble person, people don't usually say, wow, that person is so humble. What they notice is that person is so refreshingly interested in me. That's what a humble person is, interested in the person around them, is picking up on their needs, responding to them, and, and genuinely interested. Yeah. In that, I've heard you talk about that before, actually, at a youth venture training where you've helped people find God kind of in their lives. Those questions like, oh, have you had an experience where you almost died? When someone shares that with you, you ask that question, do you just go, oh, that's God? Or like, how do you kind of help them get to the place where you're not just telling it to them, but they're also agreeing with you and going, oh. Well, you're asking them good questions. Have you ever had a prayer answered? Or do you think you've had people in your life praying for you? Or whatever the question is. And then when they say it, you just ask them probing questions. Why do you think you didn't die in that accident? When you prayed that so many years ago, why do you think it turned out that way? And did you feel like you wanted to thank someone? And You know, it isn't like there's a formula. You respond to what they say and you probe and you let them make the discovery in a sense and put it together in their own head. I think we as people oftentimes aren't very good at reflecting on our experiences and ourselves. We just move on to the next thing. And so sometimes you need to help people reflect on events, people they've known, people they've respected, and you probe a little bit, well, what what was it about that person that you respected so much? And, oh, well, I guess it was, you know. So I think the most important thing is asking the right questions. It's important to have the right answers, but you can only give a right answer if they're asking the right question. <laughs> Charles Simpson, he said, people aren't looking to be reaped. They're looking to be respected. If you can just show respect to people, yeah. especially people that think, A, you don't like them, you don't respect them. You know, you're a Christian, so they say, he thinks he's better than me, he's this, he's that, or she is. Just to show people respect and take a genuine interest in them is absolutely the most disarming thing you can imagine. Whatever they're interested in, show interest, show respect, you know, whatever they're doing. Most people already know what they're doing wrong. I think most people need encouragement more than anything else. And I think encouragement can help people move closer to Christ because encouragement gives people hope. If you're going to make a change, you need hope. If you're in despair, you're just frozen. You need hope. What I really like about what you're saying, Mark, is so many Christians are combative with people who are far from Jesus, right? So it's like a war. It's like an argument and a fight. Well, you are teaching how to do that combat in prayer privately and to gain a true, genuine care and affection and respect for that person so that when you meet them outside of this secret place with God, they can see that it's genuine and you're lining up with the Lord's heart for them because he really, really cares for them. He's not trying to win an argument with them. And it puts everything in order so that you can really have effectiveness with sharing Jesus's love with them. I think sometimes when we say the lost, we think, oh, they're out there somewhere. But really, there are people right next to us, yeah. just like there's a name. There's someone probably that hopefully the Lord's bringing to mind right now that needs God's heart, needs to know God's heart is for them, that they are someone created in His image, that they are valued and full of purpose. And you can be that person who starts praying for them, and often that's just how it starts, is just in that prayer, and then those opportunities will come, like you were saying, with your neighborhood. You just started praying, and then the people started coming, and you didn't even know. I think one of the turning points in a person's prayer life, everybody thinks of prayer as our way to try and influence God. 
like God wants us to influence him to do good things, or we want something, and prayer is our way of influencing God. As soon as you realize that prayer is a way, a two-way street of influence, and that the most important influence in any conversation with God is the influence he has on you. Mm. You begin to pray about a problem in your life, a situation, a neighbor, and you're sitting there and you're making your wishes known, your needs known to the Lord, and you're talking to him. If you can be really open to God influencing you, realize that anytime you engage with God, He's going to transform you. It's going to be transformative when you truly engage with God. And every prayer time should be an engagement, not just a reading down of the list. I have talked with people and said the most dangerous prayer for a Christian can be, God, would you give me your heart for the lost? But if you transform that another step, would you give me your heart for this neighbor, especially the most irritating, farthest person away? Would you give me your heart because you'll be lined up with his intentions and I think you'll really be transformed? Yeah. Pastor Mark, is there anything else you'd like to share with us or any encouragement as people are going out and doing these things? I think what I would like to say is that since we're talking about prayer and evangelism, it's not one or the other, obviously. One should drive the other. What you don't want to do is just go out among the unsaved with your tracks and your agenda and your wanting to put another scalp on your belt. That's offensive. People pick up on that right away and they'll avoid you if they know you're Christian for that very reason. But when you pray for people, as I said, you gain a genuine affection for them. The more you pray, the more you have an affection or even for people you haven't met. It's a value. And so I think that if we have a prayer life and we're engaging and we're being transformed, we're going to become transformative. We're going to be effective with the people that we're talking to. We're going to have eyes to see and ears to hear the opportunity that God is giving us because we become tuned in. And I'll tell you, when you follow into a lead that God's opened up, like you think about a football team, the line opens a hole and you can go right through it. That's a lot better than just trying to run in 260-pound guard. That I hear as well, Christians value people. Yeah, Christians care about, they're created in the image, they're God's workmanship as well. So valuable to Him. And we have to change our thinking that way to be transformed yeah and also i love what you said at the beginning where you said what attracted people to jesus was the quality of their life and so as you're pursuing as our listeners are pursuing their walks with the lord think about does the quality of who i am and of my life attract people to jesus and that can be tough sometimes yeah yeah what does my um online life look like what do i post about what am i laughing about what am i talking about is that attractive to people? Is that full of hope? Or do I just look like everybody else? You know, I think today the thing that's most important is that we're saying you're sent to your prayer closet. You're sent to your private time with Christ. Get back to that. Make sure that that's there. This is the very beginning of the thing. And not just with sharing your faith, but changing your life and seeing the things in your life that God intends for you. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. And if people want more from Mark, you can go to the Foothills Church YouTube and find lots of messages and wisdom. We also have some of your books on our website. And you can even show up in person. If you're here in East County, you can see us online if you're not but if you're in person show up and just remember you're sick